You're listening to Connecting the Universe from Mike Ricksecker and ConnectedUniversePortal.com. everybody to Connecting the Universe. I'm author and researcher Mike Ricksecker back at you with another interactive class out of the secret library of the Connected Universe. But like Tom just said down in the chat, it is the last day of January, January 31. So yeah, very quickly, the first month of the year has just flown by. Go figure that. Uh, but uh, we got a lot more on tap for you, of course, throughout the rest of the year. And a great one tonight. Are you a time traveler? Yeah, we're going to be getting into uh, that question here for uh, for the next maybe about an hour. And then, of course, we have the after show there for uh, time travelers of the Connected Universe Portal, our members. So for those that are listening to the podcast version of this later, please go ahead and join us every Wednesday night live at 8 o'clock p.m. Eastern time, ConnectedUniversePortal.com. And we do encourage you to uh, sign up for Connected Universe Portal. Not only with this do you get the after show, which we're going to be doing something a little bit special here uh, for tonight's after show, but uh, you also get the we got sneak peek and behind the scenes videos, monthly Q&A videos, last chance for the uh, questions for our members uh, for those Q&As uh, so that we can get the video done. Exclusive articles, you get all the insider travel blogs like Ancient Egypt, American Southwest, Ireland. We have a special time travel section that will be going up here soon. That'll be done here within uh, about the next week before Conscious Life Expo hits. And so uh, mentioning that or just... Uh, Bringing that up here for just a moment. Next weekend, next Friday, I'm going to be out at the Conscious Life Expo in Los Angeles. Jennifer will be with me as well. I'm going to be speaking on Friday night, 5 o'clock p.m. Uh, that'd be Pacific time. almost said Eastern. <laughs> Pacific time. And I will be addressing the question, is time travel possible? So uh, if this... If this uh, particular episode here is asking the question, are you a time traveler? Hmm. It may be the case, right? So anybody that's out in that area, please, I encourage you join. You can find those links through my social media and, uh, yeah, go ahead and sign up through my affiliate link. I'll get a little kickback. Yeah, that's how it goes. <laughs> so yeah, that's going to be a wonderful event. So that also means for the next two weeks, we are going to be off because we're doing a whole road trip out of that. We're driving out there. I got all my books, all my gear, everything headed out there. And then, of course, on the way back. So take note of that uh, for your Wednesday night. So, all right, let's go ahead and start getting into things. Oh, oh, one one last thing here, of course. Uh, Stargates of Ancient Egypt tour, April uh, 16th to 28th. We just did a special Connecting the Universe this past weekend, this Saturday, which previewed it. Uh, Mohammed Ibrahim, who owns uh, Saba Tours, he's our tour guide, uh, was on that with me. So I've done all of these Connecting the Universe episodes on ancient Egypt, on the Stargates, all of it. You guys have seen so much of that, but I never had Mohammed on to talk about it as well. And we just did that this past Saturday. So please go back and check that after this course so i see some comments already filtering down into the chat a lot of people are already in the house uh jason thompson is with us uh, i did mention tom mcnicholas is there as well uh sarah youssef great to see you and then yes uh we are time travelers pindor farms lisa great to see you uh passed your test for mufon congratulations that's awesome cosmic chris is in the house as well as scarlet great to see you Shelly Donovan, wonderful to see you as well. 
and uh, and there is Haley. All right, great to see you, Haley. So, all right, are you a time traveler? Well, wanted to hit this this evening, of course, kind of gearing up for that Conscious Life Expo that I was just talking about uh, next weekend. Came across this article here. I posted this the other day on my social media. This is a uh, research done by the University of Cambridge. So this is you know, a rather esteemed university. And basically, you know, what they're suggesting here is that based, it's in a quantum system, but based on entanglement that, yes, time could work backwards. So let's dive into a little bit about what they say here. I'm just going to read this off. Researchers at the University of Cambridge have shown that by manipulating entanglement, a feature of quantum theory that causes particles to be intrinsically linked, they can simulate what could happen if one could travel backwards in time. So that, you know, and I love this example. You, you got to love this. So that gamblers, you know, we need to make sure gamblers are taken care of. Gamblers, investors, and quantum experimentalists. So gamblers, investors, which really is like a form of gambling. I play the stock market. You win some, you lose some. It is kind of like gambling. You try to make a more educated, informed decision. But, you know, um, so, so that all of these, um, in some cases, uh, could retroactively change their past actions and improve their outcomes in the present. So we'll dive a little bit more into what they say here, but basically um, being able to go back, manipulate enough so that your present outcome is the same, of course, using knowledge that you've gained here from the present. So when they say gambler, oh, um, you know, so-and-so won the, the Super Bowl. Mm, I didn't bet on the right team. Let me go back and change that to the right team. Man. I tell you what, I'm going to be playing some lottery numbers with that. <laughs> but let's carry on. Let's carry on here a little bit. All right. Uh, continues on. It says, imagine that you want to send a gift to someone. Of course, I'm not using lottery numbers. They're not using, you know, betting. We're going to use a gift. Imagine that you want to send a gift to someone. You need to send it on day one to make sure it arrives on day three. However, you only receive that person's wish list on day two. So in this chronology respecting scenario, it's impossible for you to know in advance what they will want as a gift to make sure you send the right one. Now imagine you can change what you send on day one with the information from the wish list received on day two. Our simulation uses quantum entanglement, if I could speak, our Simulation uses quantum entanglement manipulation to show how you could retroactively change your previous actions to ensure the final outcome is the one you want. That's, again, when we start talking about time travel and the repercussions of that, this is where it starts to get a little dangerous. Now, in their quantum environment, in their entanglement scenario, it's only worked about 25% of the time, which honestly isn't too bad. I mean, let's say you go ahead and you place that bet, right? And you lose. You, you've already lost, right? Well, I'm going to go back and change my action. I got a 25% chance that, I'm, that I could make the right choice this time. So that's, not, that's kind of like a second chance, 25% second chance on that. But yeah, that starts getting a little uh, dangerous when we start talking about ethics. You know, uh, it, it's 25% of Biff Tannen, you know, from Back to the Future. So, again, quantum environment. But if we're able to do it in one environment like that, I mean, that's just the beginning. We're going to take it to other levels, just like. Uh, a little bit over a year ago when they revealed that they had created a wormhole in a lab in a simulated uh, quantum environment. So again, that's just 
the beginning. And with that, okay, they were just able to send a message through. They weren't able to actually, uh, you know, send an object through or anything like that, which is what everybody always, uh, you know, wants to know. Can can we travel through it? And there's Sarah down there. Yeah, the Biff effect. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, wonderful. And uh, great to see Wayne in the house as well. All right. So if we're going to be talking about time and time travel this evening, I want to uh, quickly take a moment to go ahead and talk about what time really is. Now, those that have been following along for a while will be familiar with this video. People who have seen my uh, presentations that have been out there at the events will be familiar with this video. If you follow my social media, you will recognize this as my book trailer. So I'm going to go ahead and play this. It does a, a nice little job. It's a couple minutes of explaining time, and then we'll come back and, and break it down a little bit. What is time? How do we define this elusive thing we call time? We've generally been taught that time is like a river, flowing endlessly in one direction. We are caught up in its current and can only proceed downstream within its rushing waters. This river of time that we're stuck in, however, flows as a river not because of the water, but because of the banks that are holding the water in place. If we were to remove those banks, time would spill out in all directions, flooding the plains until it came to a standstill and was simply just ever-present. We would no longer be rushing downstream with it, but would be able to easily wade through those waters to any point we'd wish. What those banks are and what the mechanism is that's holding them in place we don't know, but they control the flow. Although this is a nice analogy, and perhaps it gets the reader thinking a little, I don't generally regard time as a river at all. Time doesn't really exist after all. Time is merely a human construct to describe our reality and to bring some order to this world in which we live. What we describe as time helps us to differentiate the seasonal changes of our planet, to help us know when it's appropriate to plant and harvest crops and to help us get to the office at the right moment so we don't upset our supervisors at work. The river of time, however, doesn't really exist. It's just an idea we've put forth to keep track of our experience in what is really the fourth dimension. There are many who believe that all time, past, present, and future, are all happening concurrently, each moment resonating at a different frequency. Just weeks before his death in 1955, the famed theoretical physicist Albert Einstein wrote, quote, The distinction between past, present, and future is only a stubbornly persistent illusion. Unquote. For thousands of years, ancient cultures discussed the illusionary nature of this world and that the universe as we know it is not as it seems. There are other dimensions and planes of existence that surround us, which we don't usually experience with our limited human senses. Some of these we're able to measure with instrumentation, such as different wavelengths of light and sound. Others we're still discovering. All right, so that's a breakdown on time. We'll, we're going to use that and discuss it as we continue to go along this evening. Uh, Sarah asks, Aren't they just making paradoxes? We are going to be talking about paradoxes this evening. That's going to be a little bit later on. So uh, so we'll get there. And Tom, I like this. I'm done. Anyone send me the winning lottery numbers for Saturday, you'll get 25% for helping me. I like that. You got a 25% chance that it's going to work out when you go back and redo it. Why not? You know, give the person 25%. All right. So yeah, time doesn't really exist. It is a human construct to describe our reality here in the fourth dimension. So let's talk a little bit about dimensions. Again, this is kind of a review for those that have been around here for a while. We're going to do a little dimensional primer here. So basically, every dimension that is below you, you can uh, you know, physically interact with. So these are really our first uh, well, three and then the point at the beginning is zero dimension. That is, that one's controversial. Theoretical physicists will argue the zero dimension point. But then we have the first dimension of a line, two dimensional plane, very, you know, just flat surface, and then a three dimensional object. We use a cube here 
in this case. So us, we, uh, our consciousness is residing in the fourth dimension, what we call time. What's fascinating about that is as a human being, we are multidimensional beings in that our fourth dimensional consciousness is residing in our third dimensional body. Now, when we pass, we lose the, the shell. We, we lose the house for that consciousness. Our consciousness is still existing. And it can ascend, and it's generally what we believe, is that it ascends to uh, higher dimensions, another dimensional plane, perhaps even above all of those out to the universe. We discuss and we debate all of that sort of thing. I'm going to throw this in there because uh, a lot of viewers are uh, you know, coming out of the, uh, the paranormal community, which is really where this channel started. When we talk something like a ghost, okay, that is really the consciousness, the spirit that is still on this dimensional plane just without you know, the, uh, the body anymore. So not going to really dive into that aspect so much this evening. We really want to talk about time. So then we have to ask ourselves, okay, so we have what we see and feel and experience here, you know, everything that is third dimensional from our fourth dimensional perspective. So what happens when we go up? So our theoretical physics at this point say that there are up to 11 dimensions. Again, with that, starting with that zero point up to the 10th dimension. So therefore, all the other dimensions that are above ours, five, six, seven, eight, and onward, would be able to experience time. Or I should say, they would view time as one whole concurrent object. All of it is there. And they can move in and about it at will if they want to go down to that dimension, just like I can pick up my computer mouse and move it around because I am at a dimension that is above that. So I can move it all around. I can interact with it, do with it as I please. And they can do the same with time from those higher dimensions. Question becomes, what does that look like? Well, we've gotten a little heavy handed in our interpretation of this. So we have this idea called a tesseract. And for those that watch the Marvel movies, I am not talking about the glowing cube that basically opens up a portal. We're not talking that. That's, that's sci-fi. But they used that concept because this tesseract idea of another dimension above the third looks like a cube on top of a cube. This to me is really, really heavy handed. The other dimensions that are beyond our own, we have a faint grasp. And what I mean is, and this is a, uh, it's a really good example. Well, there's a couple good examples that I, I like to use. I'm not going to play the, the clip, but I usually in my presentations will play a clip from an Ancient Aliens episode that I was a part of where you have Michio Kaku and myself talking about different dimensions. And he uses an example of fish that uh, take fish in a pond, like at a park or something like that. And in our analogy, that's the two-dimensional world. And that's all the fish know is the world and the pond. They don't really know what's beyond. They might look up a little bit and, and kind of grasp that maybe there is something beyond the pond, but they have no idea what is beyond the pond. They've never seen it. They don't know what it is. They have no idea. If you pull the fish out and they look around, they're going to be like, oh, my God, I had no idea about you know, trees and grass and, you know, sidewalk of the park, the people that are there, the people would be like interdimensional beings to the fish. I have no idea. Um, another great example, and I use this one in the book, is if you take really a true dimension, uh, a really true two-dimensional surface, right? Uh, call that flatland. And you pass a three-dimensional object through it. 
Well, the people, quote unquote, flatlanders, they don't have the physical geometry to really interpret what you know, a sphere is. So when that sphere, let's say it's just passing right through flatland, all they would see is a circle opening and closing. They wouldn't see the whole sphere because they don't have the mechanics to be able to interpret that and see it correctly. So same thing with us. When we get a glimpse of something from another dimension, you know, the physicality of our eyes can't quite interpret it correctly. Might get a glimpse, we might not understand what it is. Like when we start seeing, um, well, we mentioned interdimensional beings earlier, you know, something like that uh, could be an ET. We've talked shadow people a lot on here, uh, you know, ghosts, these sorts of things, even time travelers. Yes, when well, we were getting to all that, um, we can only interpret so much with our eyes. So I think that the movie Interstellar did a really nice job of, of their idea of a tesseract. You're basically seeing time as a physical object. Again, I, I think it's really beyond our comprehension as to what that really looks like. But I think they did an admirable job of trying to interpret it. And so this here might look like a bunch of gobbledygook. Okay, all these bizarre lines all over the place. And really what this is, um, is the, the rendering of every point in time of a girl's bedroom. So without giving too much away in this particular movie, uh, Matthew McConaughey's character, Cooper, uh, got put into this thing to find the right moment in time to send a message back. And so he was given every single moment of his daughter's bedroom to choose from. What might be a little easier to see is, is this. And they use the lines there to basically indicate string theory. So that's kind of what somebody from a higher dimension from us would view time as in a sense they use string theory and like all these boxes you know connected together i use something called stack time theory and many of you have seen uh this photo before where you have uh you know, all of these images on top of each other basically if time is all concurrent everything is here as a whole Take where you're sitting right now. Every moment that has happened, is happening, and will happen are all there concurrently. Each moment stacked on top of each other like a giant stack of photos. So I grabbed this other image here. It's a stop motion uh, capture. But basically, you know, this is another way to, to view that. You have each single moment of that swing of the tennis racket right there for us. Each one of those images of the racket there is at another moment in time. It's a very, very brief second, but it's all there right now for us to look at. We are outside of, well, in this case, it's one single image where it's all superimposed on top of each other, uh, but we are outside of that and we are able to see every single piece of it. So the same thing would be true from somebody outside our dimension. They would be able to see all of those moments. All right. So when we talk about actual time travel, we're talking about really two of those photos in the stack, so to speak, resonating at the same frequency where they can access each other. And a human being would be able to do this, I truly believe, with their consciousness that we can enter into a state of being in which, because everything is energy, frequency, resonance, vibration, where we could get our frequency to resonate at the same frequency as these other moments in time to be able to access them. We'll give some examples as we go along. See, we have some other Comments down in here, and there is Jen. She's in the house now. Earthcat has joined us, and uh, <laughs> brain's no good for string theory. Yeah, we got a little deep there uh, with uh, 
with some of the science. And I try not to lump too much on there. It can get pretty deep. Um, and when it comes to the book, if I could point in the right direction, tra travels through time, what I like to say about it is, yeah, there's a lot of science in it. It's not too sciencey. There's a lot of metaphysics in it too, but it's not too metaphysical. But at its heart, it's a philosophy book. So, uh, Tom, it's all buy tickets to Egypt. Uh, there you go. All right. So, let's talk about time travelers. Do we have time travelers? Well, there are these fun photos like this, like the time traveling hipster. The guy there, this is from the early 1940s. You got the guy there in the wraparound shades. He's holding what looks like a little bit more of a modern camera, and it looks like a silk screen t-shirt underneath the uh the cardigan um it's a fun photo <laughs> technically at this point in time you could find wraparound sunglasses rare you could find that type of portable camera again rare and the t-shirt uh yeah they're saying that it's a t-shirt of the i think it was the montreal maroons but when you go back through historic photos, looking at the jerseys of that NHL team, which they would have been from the 20s, they didn't have that color scheme. So it would have had to have been like some sort of alternate uniform. So like a lot of really rare things would have had to line up. They call them the time traveling hipster. So uh, a lot of rare things would have had to line up for this guy to be there looking like that at that year, naturally. Not completely out of the question, but it would have been pretty rare. Um, he looks a bit like my uh, buddy Johnny Enoch. <laughs> I always uh, give Johnny a hard time about this photo. What in the world were you doing? This? Uh, it's in British Columbia, uh, South Forks Bridge reopening in the early 1940s. So that's a fun one. We'll throw some fun stuff out there, of course. Um, but when we talk about actual uh real time travel we have to look at incidents in which we believe these things have actually occurred so the versailles time slip is a uh, very interesting story i'm not going to get so much into that one at the moment i do really like to talk about uh story by the famous poet goethe and the reason why i like talking about that one uh well for one people you know on it off as a as a doppelganger case and i always like to kind of poke at it and say it's not a doppelganger so the story i mean sure it kind of looked like him well it was him and that's the thing is it just flat out was him so the story goes that uh yeah, it's a 18th century poet goethe uh he actually published this account in the early 1800s so it would have been 19th century publication. But in any case, digress. The, the book is Dichtung in Wahrheit, or in English, Poetry and Truth. Walking down the road toward Trussenheim, you know, town in Germany. He's having an affair with a, uh, a young woman there in town. And as he's walking down the road, he's kind of lost in his thoughts, zoning out like you know, we do when we're driving down the road. And then all of a sudden we miss our exit because we were, we were zoning out, lost in our thoughts. And all of a sudden he notices on the other side of the road, walking in the opposite direction, a man in a gold trimmed gray suit. And so he kind of turns to get a better look at the guy and he's gone. Totally disappears in front of him. He's like, whoa, what the heck happened there? You know, kind of a notable event. Um, can't do anything about it. The guy disappeared, but you know, he's he's shocked. So I continues on addressing him. Years later. You're not even talking about like the next day or, or two or whatever. Years later, he's walking down the same road in the opposite direction. So he's coming out of Dressenheim, heading in the opposite direction. And he gets to that spot where he had seen the man in the gold trimmed gray suit. And all of a sudden, he kind of he's shocked again, kind of does a double take. He's looking down. He's like, oh, my God. I was the man in the gold trimmed gray suit. I'm wearing the suit right now. I saw myself. So this gets pawned off as a, as a doppelganger case. Well, doppelgangers, um, in, in a lot of these stories and lore, people say, you know, they're evil twins or spirits or something trying to mimic you. And that this wasn't that this, 
you could say it was a doppelganger, but it wasn't that sort of doppelganger. This was straight up himself at two different moments in time. So we have to ask ourselves, okay, what's the catalyst behind this? What made this happen? Well, in the details of the story here, he was lost in his thoughts. We say zoning out. It's a type of meditative state. Now, he's not in full meditation, of course, just like with us. You know, if we were driving down the road in a full meditative state, you know, we'd crash the car, you know. Um, so it wasn't a full meditation, but a type of meditative state. And in that moment, while he was in that meditative state, he was able to tune into his own energy signature at that location at another point in time to be able to get a glimpse of it. Now, when he noticed this guy, you know, it grabbed his attention. It broke the meditative state. And therefore, he lost his attunement with that frequency and broke the whole thing. So that in itself, we call it really a time slip, but it is a type of time travel in that which was the true moment, right? Which was the moment that was holding the two together? They're really both there, two moments in time bleeding into each other. Now, if he could have held that meditative state, if it wouldn't have broken when he looked at himself, would he have been able to live in that moment for some time? You know, whether it be a few minutes, an hour, could he do it for a day? If there's a way that we can hold that meditation for a longer period of time, would we, in a sense, be able to time travel to these other points in time? Here are some of these time slip uh, stories in which like an entire scene just morphs into existence right before somebody's eyes. So it like even including the furniture and, and, and all kinds of fantastic details. So if you were able to hold on to that, you just straight up walk into that scene and have an interaction with, especially when you have other people. Like I've talked about the uh, the Conjuring House interaction before, the, the time slip there, where you know the two gentlemen uh, sitting at the table turned and looked uh, at Carolyn and they verbally acknowledged that she was there. So that is a type of time travel. So some of us are, unbeknownst to us, already time travelers. There are, there are things that we see and experience that we might chalk up to something supernatural. We might chalk it up to uh, a ghost or an apparition that we saw or some sort of, of, of haunting. And those things are still on the table. I'm not, I'm not saying that this is the explanation for all of these things. But I believe in some of these cases and some of these scenarios, yes, it is true. This, this is the case that there is a time slip, some sort of time travel uh, incident has occurred. Let me check your comments here again. And yeah, now we're going to get to paradoxes here. I know, I know. Uh, Sarah, sounds like we're all stretching from the singularity of the Big Bang. So... It's interesting about that, and I forgot to mention it uh, earlier when we talked entanglement. Um, my uncle is a, many uncles, but one of my uncles is a retired nuclear physicist. And when he was in town this past September, he was staying with uh, my aunt, his sister, and he picked up my book, Travels Through Time. Actually, my aunt handed it to him. She was trying to do some things around the house, get food ready and all that stuff. And because he's visiting, he was trying to like, you know, talk to her. And she's like, hey, go read Mike's book. So he sits down and he starts reading my book. And of course, again, I, I mentioned there's a lot of science in it without being too sciencey, and of course, the metaphysics and all that stuff. Um, and he was, he was very interested in the book. He thought it was pretty fascinating. But he, what he threw out there at me was, okay, if from the Big Bang, you know, at, you know, we'll say 10 years ago, we are at this, you know, point here in the universe. And as 
the universe continues to expand outward. You know, everything's spinning and expanding outward. You know, 10 years from now, we're going to be out over here at a different physical location in the universe than this other one. So with you know, the idea of stack time theory, how does that work if we're not actually in the same physical spot in the universe that we were before? And I took a moment. I was like, oh, that's, that's, that's a good question. That's a very good question. I said one word, entanglement. And instantly it was like, ah, right. <laughs> so basically, keep all of that connected. Of course, we're connecting the universe, connecting the universe portal. Everything is still connected. So that location from where we were 10 years ago in the universe to where we are now are still connected via entanglement. So when we talk stack time theory and that question is going to come up. That's essentially the answer that even though we are physically apart from where we had been, that uh, all those moments are still connected together through entanglement. And we talked about it earlier where the scientists are using that in order to create these moments of going back in time to create uh, new scenarios. So, okay. So mentioned paradoxes, you know, how does this, how is this going to affect things? If we are able to, you know, even through a time slip, if we are able to interact with something in the past, even for just a moment, you know, we're not talking about, you know, like back to the future and hanging out there for days. Even if you're able to slip back there for just a moment, you have the potential to change something. So therefore, you you have the ability to create a, a paradox, right? You, know, you could change something that doesn't make sense in the future. So, you know, the most classic, and of course, this is what happens in Back to the Future, is the grandfa grandfather paradox. If you go back in time and do something to... Uh, kill your grandfather, then your father can't be born. Therefore, your your parents don't meet, and you uh, technically should not be alive. But yet, you are alive because you're there and you made these things happen. So, in Back to the Future, they made him and uh, you know, like the photo of his brother and sister, they start to disappear. Uh, in a true paradox, though, they actually wouldn't disappear. But it made for great theater that he's trying to prevent uh, them from all disappearing. They would actually still be there. Now, in the 1980s, there was a, uh, there was a proposal, the Novikov uh, Consistency Principle is what it was called. This uh, Russian scientist, Novikov, I forget his first name, uh, had come up with this idea using math that while time travel could be possible, that you couldn't change anything because then the when you uh, did all the calculations the math wouldn't uh, equate out to zero at the end it was basically when when you run the calculations you don't want a remainder uh, just to kind of get a little simplistic about that so therefore yeah nothing's ever going to change in the past so there's a correspondence between uh between physicists Joe Polchinski and uh, Kip Thorne. Uh, Polchinski has, uh, he passed away some years back. Kip Thorne, they mentioned Interstellar earlier. Uh, they, Christopher Nolan, uh, basically hired him on as a consultant to go through a lot of the science on the movie Interstellar. So these two guys uh, are talking. They're having a conversation uh, back and forth, talking 80s, so I don't know if they were just doing it over the phone or writing letters but basically uh joe came up with this idea that if you shot a billiard ball into a wormhole nine stein rosen bridge and physicists have to be on board with you know, okay they're using einstein rosen bridge this is you know theory of relativity this works okay fine shoot the thing through a wormhole 
the other end of the wormhole comes out basically behind the eight ball at a point and at an angle in which it is able to hit that eight ball and knock it off course before it enters the wormhole to begin with. So therefore we've created a paradox. How does the, how does the eight ball enter the wormhole to begin with and come out on the other side to knock it out of his course if it didn't enter to begin with. And I laugh at this because the physicists, of course, when they talk about the grandfather paradox, you know, uh, they kind of laugh and like, oh yeah, you know, that's a, it's a writing gimmick that, you know, people are using storytelling for books and movies and things like that. And yet here you go. Hey, if we use a billiard ball and an Einstein Rosen bridge, you know, we're good. You know, we could talk about this, but going back and, you know, killing the grandfather or, uh, or like in Back to the Future, you accidentally take the place of your father. Um, then, yeah, we got to laugh at that. Yeah. Talking about the same thing here, guys. It's the same thing that we are actually talking about. So, do we have paradoxes now? So, yeah, we have the idea of the future influencing the present or future influencing the past, FIP, FIP, people who like acronyms. And I've seen this play out. I believe it does play out when we, uh, we've talked before here about the, the Mandela effect, these different memories that people have of things that have occurred that you look back, you know, you, know, you just Google it, right? And it's like, that didn't actually happen? What are you talking about? And all these people across the entire world, different cultures, different countries, all have the same memories. Well, they say that, well, it's, you know, we're misremembering things. It's like group misremembering. But there's some of those Mandela effect stories that are just really don't make a lot of sense. I'm not going to get detailed on that. We've done entire... Uh, classes on that before. So uh, we can go back and take a look at those uh, another time. But, um, you know, some of those that, like how Oscar Mayer is spelled or the spelling of Fruit Loops or did uh, Fruit of Loom use a cornucopia, all that branding stuff. Well, I'm not saying somebody went back in time to change branding. That's pretty trivial. But could they have gone back in time inadvertently, not even purposefully, but inadvertently changed something so that years down the road, like whoever came up with the Fruit of the Looms logo, maybe their inspiration for that logo changed a little bit. So in one version, they're like, oh, that looked good with a cornucopia behind it because maybe... I don't know, they had a fond memory of a cornucopia on the Thanksgiving table or something. But in another version, whatever changed, maybe that cornucopia wasn't on the table. And so therefore you didn't have the inspiration to include a cornucopia with fruit, the Fruit of the Loom branding and just created the fruit. I'm, just, I'm coming up with an example here of what could have possibly happened, not saying that that is what did happen. But that's an example of, how something could have been changed to inadvertently give us a new memory. And I do believe, again, I do believe some of it is um, misremembering, but not, not all of it. There's some things that are really, really just too uncanny. So we already have this idea that some things just are off, that things were different before. They have a really fun personal story on this. Jennifer's no, Jennifer knows what I'm going to talk about. So my fiance, Jennifer and I, um, we grew up together for, well, for 10 years in any case, because I ended up moving away. Uh, we were in first grade together and, uh, hadn't really had much interaction for, um, you know, for a while, but then all of a sudden one day we're in the school library and I'm looking through a stack of books. And all of a sudden, she comes right up next to me and kisses me right on the cheek. I'm like, whoa, what was that? You know, I'm just 
kind of blushing. I'm like, oh, you know, <laughs> um, cool. <laughs> no idea why that happened, but it happened. Um, and, you know, so we, again, we're in first grade together. We had some interaction there. We were in fourth grade together. Again, some some interaction in seventh grade. 12 years old and we kind of quote unquote dated for about a month. Uh, she dumped me because I was too scared to hold her hand. I was, I was <laughs> too scared to hold her hand. And she was just like, this doesn't go anywhere. And, um, but then the following school year, right at the beginning of the school year, I moved away and we had lost touch for you know, about 20 years. Then, you know, advent of social media, Facebook, uh, all that stuff. And we reconnected. And so, um, so, you know, we caught up and all that fun stuff. And uh, every once in a while, our paths would cross and get together for, for dinner and, you know, catch up and uh, nothing romantic. We were each with, you know, other people at the time. Uh, but I did, you know, ask her what, what the heck was the, was the kiss on the cheek? And she was like, I don't know. You just had this cute chubby little cheek out sitting out there and, you know, something told me to kiss it. Okay. Cool. Fun. So fast forward some years later, um, over a year and a half ago now, I had my tour in Ireland and Jennifer had come along on that. And we were both single at the time and we just, boom, we hit it off and been together ever since. So we're, we're getting married next year. Uh, but uh, once we were together, we decided we we're going to go visit our old haunts in, in Westfield, Massachusetts. Her parents still live there. So, um, so she's through there a lot, but you know, we're driving around checking out some places and we go to the old school, Juniper park, which uh, is now part of the, uh, the university there. They use it as a performing arts center. So it's no longer an elementary school. And we're walking around looking through, uh, windows and reminiscing and all that sort of stuff. So we get to the library and this is the library there. And we're looking through, you can see that door is you know, all glass. And we're looking through there and we're pointing out at the spot where the kiss happened. And Jennifer starts yelling through the window, kiss him, kiss him. And we're laughing. It's cute and all that stuff. Um, so later on, though, it kind of dawned on us. Wait a minute. She said that something had told her to kiss my cheek back in first grade. She didn't know what it was. It was just something told her to kiss my cheek. There she is, 40-something years later, screaming through that window there, kiss him, kiss him. So here's the thing. What if what she heard in first grade was her calling across time 40 years. So her 40-something-year-old self was telling her six-year-old self to kiss me. It's the future influencing the past. It's a paradox, though, because which came first, right? It's a constant loop. It's a constant cycle. But uh, a very cool example of how the future can influence the past because again all time is concurrent it is all there now that doesn't mean we can't change things we can when things get changed that's where we start having these you know crazy memories of things that apparently didn't exist before or were different because Things from the future can influence things from the past. Things absolutely can get changed. And so when, uh, you know, when we get into these situations that are paradoxical in nature, well, the paradox doesn't mean that it can't happen because it's a paradox and it's just storytelling. No, it's just, yeah, the paradox exists, but that's just you know, the, the timeline working itself out. So, yeah, some things are going to change because of that influence, but it's all there. It's going to, yeah, have reverb, reverberations uh, up and down the stack of time. But again, it's all there. It's all concurrent. So when people say, well, when you talk about, you know, everything's there, 
uh, past, present, future. So if it, it, if it all exists and free will doesn't exist, no, it does. It does exist. But then those changes happen based on whatever we do with our free will. Okay. I have one other to share with you guys on that. I want to see uh, what you guys are saying. Uh, yeah, and, and Oscar Mayer had a jingle spelling it out, and yet people still misremember what the actual spelling was. That's one that I don't believe. I, I, I believe that one is a misremembering of it, which, again, is kind of silly because of the jingle. Uh, but there are others um, that I've talked about in the past. I have a really long, full example. I don't have time uh, to get into it. That actually personally happened with uh, myself and my mother. You won't find it on any lists, uh, but um, there are people from all over the world that had the same memory of something that uh, it's, I, I, other side, uh, I include, I do include that story in my book. Uh, and I like this from Jen. I'm a skeptic, but I wasn't taking any chances. <laughs> yeah, she's a healthy skeptic about all of this stuff. Um, she, she stays open-minded about it, but, uh, but yeah, uh, she wasn't taking any chances And Scarlett. Yeah. I love the story of you guys. Thank you. Thank you. Appreciate that. And, uh, and Pandora Farms, Lisa as well. I love the story and how you guys go so far back. Yeah. It's, uh, it's just, it's a sweet story. <laughs> it's amazing. Um, oh, geez, Tom. Good thing she didn't. Yeah, let's go home and make pancakes. <laughs> nice. Nice. Okay, so there's one other here. That I wanna, uh, I'm going to play this clip. Uh, this is from an old, um, an old video off of, uh, it's on the YouTube channel, but you can see from the background and everything, this is some years back. I can't remember exactly which video it was from, but I'm, I'm talking uh, the story about uh, Johnny V's in Muskogee, Oklahoma. It's a place that we investigated some years back, like we're talking 10, 12 years ago. And a shadow person incident that happened there that really became a large basis for my work and my theories behind uh, my book, A Walk in the Shadows. But uh, let me go ahead and play this and then we will go ahead and discuss. A personal experience that I had that could possibly be a time travel type of experience or possibly a time overlap experience was an encounter I had with a shadow person at a restaurant called Johnny V's in Muskogee, Oklahoma. We were just finishing up a paranormal investigation. A couple of people were upstairs in the bar area, some others were out in the restaurant area, and I decided to take a last photo sweep of the restaurant. As I was walking through the main doors to the kitchen of the restaurant, I suddenly spotted a shadow that darted across the kitchen really quick and slammed through the side door of that kitchen and into the restaurant. It was a very fast, very translucent shadow, but it was distinctly there and you heard the bang of the door when it slammed into it. What's unusual about this is that even though I heard the slam of that door, it was just a flimsy little metal door that you could open very easily with your finger, meant for waiters and waitresses to walk through with heavy trays of food, the door didn't open. I called out to the others to see if they had heard what I had, and they had. And I do have a theory on this, that this shadow person was some sort of interdimensional being, some reason crossing my plane of existence at that particular time, and that when I walked into the room, it saw me, I scared it, and it ran through that door. Now, perhaps on its plane of existence, that door opened wide and it ran right off into the dining room. But on my plane of existence, that door stayed closed. But sound being on a different wavelength resonated between the two planes of existence. While this could purely be an interdimensional being like I described, could this also have been someone else from the building's history? Our moments in time overlapping each other for a brief moment. Okay. So, yeah, I, I for I, I still believe it was something interdimensional, but you have to also account for the uh, idea that if we are talking, uh, you know, time slips. Well, those are 
moments within the dimension that are falling into each other. So in a sense, it would still be interdimensional. Uh, but this could be, really could be a time slip sort of incidence too, rather than just some interdimensional beat. Now, here's the thing. Okay, yeah, when I walked into that room, it saw me on some, some level. It saw me because it got spooked and it ran out of there. So let's suppose this. Let's say it was another moment in time. And I go walking into there in my point. And these two moments are overlapping. Well, could it possibly be that the being, the person, whoever it was in that kitchen was in the past at some point. We could say five, 10 years beforehand. I have no idea. But at some point in the past, I mean, it blew through that door. It ran off into the dining room, right? Um, it could have been, it could have been a, a cook from a previous incarnation of that restaurant. Uh, one of the waiters, somebody working in there and took off into the dining room area, right? Again, the door didn't move uh, on my plane of existence, on my timeline, whatever it may have been, but I heard it. I have a nice recording of it too. Uh, unfortunately, it wasn't running video, I was taking photos. So is it possible then that if this was a person from the past seeing me, now I would have been in the future, right? Is it possible that we were there investigating that building because of this person there that had just seen us. So because of a time slip, because of somebody witnessing us, or me, in any case, walking into the kitchen uh, and said, oh, there's ghosts here or whatever. Are we the reason, are we our own reason that we were investigating that day? Again, it's a paradox. It's a future influencing the past. It is paradoxical in nature, but it's just the way that the we call it a timeline, but it's just it's all there. It's the way the universe just reconciles with itself. So I'm not going to get into all of the ideas about the recycling time and all that sort of thing uh, in this particular episode uh, in this particular show. Talked about some of those things in the past, but um, you know, in this sense, many of us have already been time travelers. We've already had interactions with other moments in time. We've already seen glimpses of the future, probably without realizing it. We've already seen glimpses of the past. Many of us uh, have talked about, you know, seeing and interacting with people and beings from other points in time, or you know, have, you know witness what we might call, you know, a haunting or something like that. Many of us have seen those things or, you know, we may have seen it and didn't really recognize what it, recognize it for what it was. Um, and, but the interaction was there, something, well, something weird happened, something strange happened. So in that sense, we are already time travelers. The question then becomes, how do we harness that? And this is, I believe, where uh, a lot of practice with with meditation is going to come into play. Uh, I do have a story right at the beginning of the other side, <laughs> at the beginning of the book, in which I was attempting to time travel. I was only like 14 years old. I had absolutely no idea what I was doing. But I was attempting to time travel because I mentioned earlier that I had moved from the town there in Massachusetts. I was homesick, so I was trying to go back in time influenced by somewhere in time, Christopher Reeve and Jane Seymour, how he essentially willed his consciousness to another point in time. So I'm lying there in bed one night trying to do this. And I'd gotten to the point where I had, again, no idea what I was doing, but I essentially put myself into a meditative state. And I started feeling these like undulating waves up and down, up and down, up and down fine with that 
But then I started feeling this electric tingling sensation. And that spooked me. And I broke the meditative state. Kind of like with, with Gutta. You know, boom, broke the meditative state. Again, 14 years old, no idea what I was doing. But years later, as I'm talking with different people about different phenomena, different things within the universe, came to find out that, oh my gosh, I was on the verge of having an out-of-body experience. I was about to astral project. So the question then becomes, okay, where was I going to project to? Would I have actually projected to another point in time? Would I have accomplished that? Would I have just been roaming around there? Um, yeah, I don't know. Um, but certainly would like to, well, I'll say this. I have tried to do it again. I have so much going on in my, in my brain these days um, that it, it's hard for me to, to keep focus while I am uh, trying to meditate. So that's been a challenge for me lately. But I believe people who get into a uh, deep meditation setting, and I think that's a, the key, is setting the intention. When you set the intention, you are basically you know, trying to dial in that frequency. Now, we, I think this is the challenge for us, is being able to tune in that frequency perfectly, you know, and keep it there and retain it. Um, there's some stories I've talked about before where basically a time slip incident uh, and on both sides of it, and this is a, kind of a, almost like another doppelganger story, uh, but on both sides of it, it was a shadow form, one as a child, one as uh, basically a young adult, looked like he was in a hoodie or whatever, but uh, he looked like a hooded shadow, uh, but he was really in a hoodie either side seeing a, a shadow form, but really it was himself at two different moments in time. And okay, why'd it come off as a shadow? Well, because it wasn't perfectly, you know, tuned in. Think of like, you know, the old radio dials. I mean, these days we still turn a knob, but it's like click, click, click. Back in the day, you had to like really kind of fine tune it. There was no clicking through channels. It was, um, it was just the band in your, in your, turning that dial. If you're a little bit before, or a little bit after, you know, you get that fuzzy static stuff and you had to get right on there. And so I think that's the, the trick is trying to tune it in perfectly to get there. And that's going to be the challenge for us in trying to, to do this. So, um, but I, you know, I'd absolutely believe that we are able to time travel. And it's going to have more to do with consciousness than it will to do with like a DeLorean and a flux capacitor or some sort of machine that science uh, might try to, to come up with. So, all right, let me take a look at last uh, comments and questions here. Those that are part of the uh, Connected Universe portal, you members, you time travelers of the Connected Universe, stick around for the after show. Um, I have something a little special here for that. Uh, so, uh, see, Scarlett, do you know anyone that has more than one shadow person like a group um all kinds of yeah different shadow person stories uh, sometimes they do come in uh sometimes they'll be singular sometimes you have a couple in there three three is a common number um i've seen groups um other people have seen groups yeah it's uh it's just each situation is different and that's a, and that's a thing with any of these um scenarios is that each one is situational so you know when somebody wants a you know definite answer for like you know what's a shadow person why do these happen etc and it's, eh, it depends on the situation because they can be a lot of different things they can be time travelers uh they could be ets they could be interdimensional beings they could be human spirits that aren't fully manifesting as an apparition there's a lot of different explanations as far as what they can be um haley I have astral projected once in a really deep meditation, and it's scary. Once you realize what's happening, it gets weird. Um, I'd love to hear more about, about the story. So, um, yeah, if you're going to be at, um, or you can message me offline, um, or if you're going to be at Paris Icon this year in May, uh, you could share the story there, whichever you'd like to do. But I'd like to hear that story because, yeah, I was getting to a point where it just kind of freaked me out, uh, and I, poof. You know, came right out. So, um, all right. Earthcat. 
Uh, I was once in a brief coma in wind places. Yeah, I've heard some interesting stories uh, from people that have been in comas, that have had near-death experiences. The things that people see and experience are really, really fascinating. So, all right. So we're going to go ahead and wrap this up. Those that are listening to the podcast version of this later, of course, please, again, join us every Wednesday night, 8 o'clock p.m. Eastern Time, ConnectedUniversePortal.com, except for the next two Wednesdays in which uh, we're going to be on the road headed out to Conscious Life Expo. So the official date that we will be back, let me get that here, will be February 21st. Um, and actually, I believe that's the day. Actually, that's a Edge of the Rabbit Hole episode. We will have Dr. Rita Louise on as a guest. So there you go. That's the schedule coming up here. All right, everyone. And again, those that are part of the uh, the portal, stay tuned. Everybody else, until next time. Time really exists. <laughs>